Hey guys, this is Ambar Mehta, and this is Dev Manik. You are listening to That Side Over There, the podcast for your future. So we have with us today Mr. Swapnil Mehta. He has completed his uh, computer engineering from DJ Sangvi College, Mumbai, and then he went on to do his uh, masters and PhD from NYU. So currently he is pursuing his uh, PhD from New York University. Uh, welcome, Swapnil. Hi, Swapnil. So how's it going? Thanks. It's it's going well as well as can be during the pandemic, I guess. So Swapnil, can you tell us about your journey from the start? How did you came up with the idea of doing engineering? What was in oh, your that's mind? A, that's a great question. So, to be completely honest, I didn't have anything on my mind. I didn't know that I wanted to do computer science. Um, it was just a decision I took. Partly because of some guidance that my dad gave me, partly because it seemed like a perfectly plausible line to follow. I've always had this lack of narrow-minded focus in the sense I didn't have anything against a particular field. Like if someone told me mechanical has a lot of scope and there are like n number of things you can do in mechanical, I would potentially have been like, okay, it seems cool. But computers, I'd always been familiar with. My dad's a software engineer, so. part of the reason is like I, i i knew a lot about the field compared to other fields so i was like okay i have the grades i have the opportunities at that point i was i had been preparing for the iit and just failed to qualify within like the top 15000 so i was quite bummed out because i used to be smart or in that uh, using that metric to measure my smartness i was like i should have qualified like very well like in the top 5 4 or 5000 but Didn't work hard, got out of that. So I was like, okay, let's let's do something. So I had the motivation. I had a very strong source of motivation from a very recent failure that I think a lot of students go through. But that that uh, what they call the fire burning within that motivated me to take up computer engineering. And then the rest of that was because of that decision to take up computer engineering. I was well aware of. I had a nice set of people that i could go to and ask about like okay in this field what do i do next so that helped me out initially i got to start out with programming in php developing websites then i built websites using wordpress a couple of friends joined me we started this uh, we call it company but really we never incorporated ourselves so just like a freelancer team built some websites discovered that there was so much more to do again like i emphasize the lack of saying no to different things because i i jumped from building websites to computer graphics to 3d modeling software to cyber security to some part software engineering in the middle building some sort of open source apis for data streaming and iot devices at some point we got an and and i say we because uh, two of my friends were with me throughout all of this and most of the things we did we did together and so it was really helpful to have this support uh, not just from like people you can talk to but people who are doing the same things as you are doing and the most important part of that was like we always pushed each other forward like if one of us got a cool opportunity the other was like do it man do it as opposed to like a lot of unhealthy competition that goes on um, particularly when students compete without actual like th- there is no point in competing like the world is too big for you to consider everyone as your competition and if you do you're not going to end up winning anyway because there are far more smart than you are 
but it takes a while for most people to realize that it took a while for me to realize that but yeah we we got through we did a bunch of internships cybersecurity computer vision also course instructor for this animation course but yeah we can get into the details later but the broad overview is did a bunch of internships ultimately ended up in switzerland i should mention got very lucky uh, to end up in switzerland then i ended up in switzerland again because they rehired me um, and that was for a longer term so that was two years so from an internship got converted well i guess in our sense got converted to a job but really in their sense i just reapplied and got in again so they don't typically uh, consider conversion so yeah i ended up in switzerland working there and that's uh, after that i figured out okay i do want to keep studying i like learning about new things and so a masters wasn't for me in the sense that it was limiting you can't do all the courses you like you have certain core requirements and you can do some stuff outside of that and yeah so i figured why not apply for a phd again got lucky got into the school i wanted to get into got really nice advisors and yeah ended up at nyu and that's where i am right now that is great to hear but i have just one question with all the things you have done like all the stuff which you told us why data science like right now it's an upcoming field like people are going behind it and more and more people want to become data scientists but i think when you graduated data science will be an upcoming field it would like it would be on just upcoming it was not yet so well known that's a great question and part of the reason is like i said i jumped around a bunch of fields because i didn't know what i was doing what field i liked and i liked some of them for instance cyber security was really really nice but my work at cern uh, eventually became machine learning deep learning and physics and so i spent like the longest time working in that field and it's from um, there there are two sides to this one is i really liked the field the things that people were doing seemed really really cool um, i wouldn't say i understood it in depth because for me i didn't have a very strong mathematical background so i i i wouldn't like i could understand applications i couldn't understand the theory and now the kind of things i'm working on involve a strong understanding of the theory so it took me a good year and a half to actually get to an understanding of the theory which means at that time i just understood applications and the applications itself was so cool that i was like okay this is definitely lucrative to stay in the other side of it is when you uh, apply for a masters or a phd typically you need clarity in vision in thinking in defining research problems and the easiest way i could do that was to capitalize on my experience on the experience i've had most recently as well as most extensively and that was data science and machine learning uh, could you tell us more about your uh, subject in which you're doing your phd at nyu Sure. So I work on two-part problem, a bunch of different topics, and I'll get into each of them. So a lot of times in machine learning, you want to understand the causes behind why a model predicts what it want, what it does, and it's a hard question to ask because there is so much internal machinery working on a single data point that you can't pinpoint why a particular decision was taken. So what I'm doing is I'm working with these simulators. and the simulator is just like a, a software that runs an experiment and produces some outcomes that corresponds to a real life experiment so we build simulators of the world typically where you want to uh, model uh, the world uh, in a programmatic fashion 
and so i work with simulators to sort of uh, and because this is software i can actually change lines of code in the middle i can change the values of random variables in the middle and then see what the corresponding change is affected in the outcome right and by doing these kinds of things repeatedly you can start to uncover the patterns and say something about the causal relationships in the within the simulator so this is like just a framework and there are many problems you can define many assumptions you can make the particular one i'm working on is like can you build simpler models of simulator that are causally correct and approximations to the correct simulator so if you have a a big field stadium cricket ball and players and stuff like if you're simulating a cricket game ultimately you need to simulate the ball going to the bat the bat hitting the ball and the ball going somewhere and then you update the scores right sure then later you can add some fielders and stuff but there are some simpler things that you need to simulate in order to model a very complex experiment so uh, if you find a good causal explanation and just bare bones causal explanation of a simulator which we call a surrogate model for the simulator that's really interesting uh so do you think that the data science field is uh, getting saturated not the research part but where the corporate world or stuff like that because right nowadays everyone's getting into data science so that's a great question and while i don't have much industry experience in terms of hiring numbers i will say that there are a lot of data scientists now working in pure tech and by pure tech i mean your companies which build software products not yeah i don't know how to correctly define pure tech but i would say your facebook google apple amazon all of those maybe not amazon but facebook google apple are uh, pure tech companies yeah like i said i don't know what pure tech would be defined as particularly but your fang companies typically would fall into your most of silicon valley would fall into pure tech um and those jobs getting sort of saturated in the sense that a lot of people are available for those but there are so many opportunities to do ai for x which means x could be your biology x could be your uh, geophysical simulations x could be history economics like just n number of things those opportunities are like huge massively a uh, massive number of opportunities are available so in that sense definitely not so as a field it's not getting saturated but there are some roles that you will face a lot of competition and uh, uh, in trying to achieve it's very true like uh, people uh, consider data science to be an upcoming field but i don't know if it is it is already there or it is still upcoming since the many there are many startups which are based on ai deep learning and stuff they try to solve problems but the problems already have simple solutions and cheap solutions but they still try to complex it up and try to you know push ai and everywhere so do you think that is a correct way to go technical way or the research way is way better so that's a that's a great observation and it is actually well documented so a bunch of europe's top 1000 or 5000 startups who say they use ai don't actually use ai or they just use what we call rule based systems so basically if else if else uh, nested if else statements right and from their perspective i understand why they want to claim to be ai companies because 
from a funding perspective you've seen what blockchain and ai can do to a company just adding blockchain in their name made share prices rise by 50% and there, there was a lot of madness around that and some people claim that it is an ai bubble and it will burst because of these things i don't think i completely disagree with them um at the same time i think there are companies doing a lot of good with ai so to answer your question i don't think it's right to use ai when you're not an ai company but at the same time when you talk about all of this hustle and like a the the scams people run i don't think this is the worst possible thing to happen um it's just that the public perception is going to change because people keep inflating ai uh, to say oh ai is going to take away our jobs i don't think that's going to be the case in the near future at least for the next 3 to 4 years and i think the jobs that are going to go first would potentially be fringe jobs where people can easily upskill themselves but again i mean these are people's lives we're talking about so i can't make claims like this uh, uh, without any data to back it so that's just my opinion on what will happen um but i may be wrong to do effective machine learning there's a a lot of data is required and most of this data is available uh, with these top companies facebook and uh, google and all that so they, they are the only ones who are able to they are only ones who are able to implement machine learning uh, properly so is that true i don't think that is true um and part of the reason i say that is because most of the labeled data and like uh, uh structured data might be available with these companies through the platforms we use but there is so much unstructured data available in the wild for example you can just scrape random images off of the internet you can scrape a bunch of social networks using open source tools and scrapers that people have very kindly uh, uh, made available and i think a particular topic uh, that might be of interest here is weakly labeled supervision which is saying that maybe you don't have the perfect labels and maybe you don't have all the labels but like there is some possibility of using uh, of using your machine learning models because you can release your model on reddit and scrape all of the comments and all of the data in fact there are data sets available right those are not google data sets those are not facebook data sets but chatbots are actively trained on those data sets and you should note that when you scrape data in the wild there will be biases and you have to actively control for them but i suspect that will be the case with any data like all data is biased because data is generated by humans and humans are biased and like there is a root cause of the problem that we need to address but that that has to do with all data that is my point again but really like unstructured data is available in in volumes for everyone so it's up to us how to use the data i've seen this documentary called social dilemma on netflix so it shows that how data is your data is used against you or maybe to mold you like you are no longer control of, in control of your life and the data we are you are giving to these companies are being used against you and to make you mold into a someone you are not okay so do you think that if there is a next war it will be because of data because it has gained so much importance in 21st century this is a very cool question again like multiple viewpoints on this part of me feels like people want personalization they just don't realize how much they need it like if you have ads for products you do end up going and buying it which means you do ultimately want that personalization or you do benefit from it 
it's the bad side of it where that data is exploited that's where the the idea of you know you should regulate data and all of this gdpr stuff comes in which i'm all for i should mention like of course i want control of my data but i don't i think there are two sides to the coin so as a person who's working in tech who uses data i know that i have to be very careful um about privacy issues about yeah i guess privacy issues sums it up i mentioned biases earlier so you have to be careful about that handling data imbalance uh, uh, label imbalance and stuff like that is important and the other side of it is like responsible data science in the sense like what applications do you want to build with data so there there was a lot of uproar in tech when a particular tech company decided to open open up in china and people like really raised their voices against it and they were forced to put it on hold but that's what this is like at the end of the day a business is a business honestly i don't i don't know this goes back to like people in power doing things to keep themselves in power and i have a lot of strong opinions about that that i'd rather not get into right now and keep this about more technical stuff than philosophical stuff but like i i realize that there is a strong need to do responsible data science i just don't know how without strong regulation or even with strong regulation how can that be enforced like i don't see anyone answering that question correctly so in the end it's like uh, if the product is free then you are the product that is that pretty much sums it up that is true to some extent um there are a lot of companies that do responsible data science like the easiest example i can give you is signal app right that at least from what i read they're not collecting your data they're a not for profit organization they have good encryption whatsapp used to be that way so there are people that are building products for free that that are utilitarian like do accomplish a certain utilitarian goal but yeah i don't the majority of products that might be backed by companies are probably not going to be that way there is there is these things like either you are an open source or this is the situation right like uh, people use open source as a freeware and that is not something it, you are not paying anything for that so this statement is clearly contradicted by the open source project with people have so if you you can use that open source project and there is no way that the parent person who has invented this is going to track you so i think people are getting too much influenced by you know about this particular line uh, which they have heard and they forgot that there are also places where things are actually made available for free that is uh, an excellent point to raise yeah I, i agree completely and having used a lot of open source products um i i have been reliant on this community myself and it has it has been massively impressive how much people contribute for free for like no no reason relating to profit just out of the good of their heart and it's, it's really nice and uh, heartwarming to see that uh, so could you describe your experience at nyu and how the culture in us universities is different from mumbai or dj sangvi oh, that's a, that's an excellent question and part of the reason uh, i'm actually planning to write a lot about this okay so coming into the us as a student from india my experience was a bit different because i i got a nice chance to spend a year or two as a segue in switzerland and there i learned a lot about different cultures particularly europe you're going to see a lot of similarities with india in terms of different blends of cultures coming together 
so in the same office i had people who came from the eastern end of europe to like the western end of europe to us to to uh, southeast asia to india and pakistan i'm not sure about australia but yeah anyway so the, it's like a hot pot of cultures and that makes you aware of certain things i wasn't aware of like pizza being flat and having a lot of big vegetable soup i was used to the dominos and pizza hut style of pizza like the eastern european style of cuisines was completely not eastern european but italian style of pizzas was not as i was not as familiar with it so the first time i saw it i was like ha huh, but how do i like what this has no bread this has no cheese like what is going on here it was basically bread and vegetables and like dollops of cheese on top no tomato sauce nothing so i was very confused but because like i like a lot of things i don't have a problem with most things i had that um and i grew to love it and now i i long for that kind of pizza i go to italian restaurants in new york just to find the the european style of pizza as opposed to new york nothing against new york pizza i also love those but the the point being like it's a very small example the there are far better examples of like cultures and learning about what kind of board games german folks play we actually had a lot of nice board games so my german friend introduced me to catan at the time and of course it's not a german thing but like you're going to learn about things that you weren't aware like outside of your sphere of knowledge for instance going skiing was something i actually never did even though i was dragged along by many people just traveling eating at different restaurants across europe um that sort of experience basically made me much more aware of the world being a very different place but like i went into a complete segue about switzerland sorry about that my point was i was getting to the india versus us uh, student uh, going to masters that sort of mindset so one thing that struck me very hard in the face uh, was that i was nowhere close to the level of uh, uh, intelligence that the students in my cohort had and i'm very open about that because these guys have had training at the best institutes in the world for years and you're not going to compare to them as soon as you land there like it's just like you're not going to be smarter than olympiad winners uh, let me clarify you're not going to be more intelligent than olympiad winners so you have to figure out what your capabilities are what your strengths are and capitalize on those and this is not to say it's about competition but this is to say you're going to feel a lot of insecurity when you go from india to the us in and i'm saying this very generally for most people uh, of course it it doesn't apply to everyone it's just like some advice i would offer so find something about yourself that you're very secure about for me it was about jugaad um, i was very confident in my ability to uh, uh, hack my way through things i was confident in my problem solving skills like no matter what problem you throw at me i will be able to solve it and it will take me time i might fail a couple of times but i'm confident in saying like i will be able to solve it um, without like the describing the exact approach i would take so that worked out for me because my advisors threw a couple of fields at me and i struggled for a year and a half but eventually i managed to arrive at a stage where i can discuss this confidently with them and come up with potential solutions to problems bear in mind that i'm still a struggling student so that is important i, I think everyone has their own struggles at every stage in life so it doesn't matter like jeff bezos has his own struggles elon musk has his own struggles and a student at dj sangvi has their own struggles so at every stage your struggle is just on a different scale 
so get used to that aspect of life if you lived a very sheltered life uh, if you studied at dj sangvi i'm fairly sure your life has significantly revolved around easy solutions it's just a thing it's there and people read it and people give exams after reading easy solutions and that's fair you you found your solution to the process but at the end of the day you're not getting knowledge out of it your knowledge comes from either what you learn outside of the classroom or go back to your teachers and professors and ask them about and sit down and discuss with them it doesn't come from that one chapter that someone taught you in class because life is much more than that textbook so in summary and and i didn't know this in dj sangvi so i did the exact same stuff that i'm describing which is why i'm so confident in saying you can survive the system with just that amount of knowledge but you can't survive life with that amount of knowledge so that that is going to happen you're going to have to go back to the internet and suddenly start looking up math and theorems and figuring out solutions to problems on your own and that's one thing the other side of it is the social life your social life is suddenly going to be relatively isolated and i say for most of us because we're going to live alone or with some roommates but away from family so that's going to change and it's super hard to adapt to this system where you are responsible for every aspect of your life on paper it looks amazing oh my god i have financial freedom oh my god i have the freedom to say for some of us date someone because family is not cool with that you're going to be uh, saying oh uh, i have the freedom to go out drinking and partying with friends but at the end of the day if you keep doing all of those things you're not going to have time left to study and you're going to suffer so yeah like life hits you you have to suddenly do your laundry on the weekends you have to go buy your groceries during the week you have to cook your food all day uh, every day otherwise you have your options of spending money and then eight pinches um at least for me it pinched when i started spending money uh, and not cooking i grew used to that <laughs> eventually because i started generating sources of, uh, like generating revenue but if i hadn't i would i would not have been eating out as much as i do right now so like i don't know maybe that's a culture thing gujarati family and like knowledge that money has a lot more value than you think it does and yeah that's that's maybe that's just me but like it it is important to note that a lot of you will have some financial pressure in terms of loans and like responsibilities towards your family uh, despite not living with them and again like i saw the best of my friends the smartest of them actually go through a, a period where they were uh, pretty uh, stressed finally getting a job super super hard challenge in terms of like how do you live with the knowledge that oh i'm graduating in 6 months and i don't have a job in hand because for a lot of us that will be the case like you'll get your job 2 3 maybe 4 months before graduating but 6 to 8 months before you will know that oh my course is coming to an end what am i going to do next and answering that question is hard because it would depend on how you deal with things the first one one and a half year of graduate uh, of uh, masters or your phd whatever so yeah those three things the social aspect the competition aspect and the culture aspect those three things are what are most important to me as what i would say people need to learn about uh, in order to make an easy transition at any rate definitely like we are both currently second year students and we know that we like, dj sangvi students in general are very really sheltered we live with our parents and also we take a lot of shortcuts in college and just do whatever it takes to score marks so those shortcuts are fine like i have nothing against it and i have personally taken those shortcuts partly because they're available so why not 
but i also did a lot of things outside of college and that allowed me the the uh, prepared me for the future so i'm just saying like prepare yourselves apart from taking those shortcuts that's that's yeah to be honest i think that uh, what more than what teacher teaches me i learn more from the committees i have joined the teams i have joined because i'm getting practical knowledge and i'm also having human interactions i'm talking with people while solving a problem right so it is con- communication with people while in classroom you are solving a problem as solved that right? you are writing for example you are writing your own code but when it comes to collaborating with 10 people on the same code it is very very difficult you feel like i will write the whole code myself and stuff like that but in the end learning that skill comes from interacting with people so i think it it is again a great support to have a work experience with people surrounding you i completely agree with that and part of the reason that i could do all of this was because i had interned about five or six different places both in person and remotely even at that time and so i learned very early on how to work with people and how to work without people and i think the one word solution to that is communication and that's also been like one reason why i had an edge when it came to like having super intelligent people around me because i was just great at communicating if i didn't know something i asked a lot of times i was scared to ask initially and i regret that wasting that time on not asking people because i potentially felt inferior but i can confidently say today that if i don't understand something i will go right up to the person and say hey can you please explain this to me again and that is super important like communication in a team knowing what someone else is doing knowing what you are doing dividing responsibilities properly that is the key idea like the, the key reason like networking networking is entirely based on communication and that's going to matter a lot for the rest of your life if not in college so yeah working in teams working on different committees that was a super important part of the experience for me so from new york to india now let us go to switzerland so sun as a person who has loved physics since standard 8 sun is like a mecca for me like it is something like everyone who loves physics in general would love to see or would love to work at so how did you get into sun first of all and what is something that you learned from sun so sun was actually a place i didn't know about in depth so the first time i came across sun was in the life universe and everything section in hindustan times probably in 8th or 9th grade and i saw oh this large hadron collider oh they built a collider and it collides particles that's cool and i left it at that and i came back to it in in my second year of college because i was scouting internships internationally i was like i want to go abroad and i want someone to pay for me to go abroad i don't like the idea of spending my dad's money or asking my mom for money for that matter but anyway the point was i wanted to go abroad and i applied to about 45 odd internships abroad and note that applying for internships abroad takes a day or two per application because you need your transcripts and as a second year student going into the office and saying i need my transcripts they were confused like are you graduating early like is there a possibility of that happening i like what is going on because typically you need your transcripts for masters that's in your third year and they were just used to that so i was probably the first second year student going and saying oh give me my transcripts i want to apply to internship secondly the internship board was taboo part of the reason was because internship meant oh you're going to skip out on college 
and it had been abused by so many people so many times that college was now wary of like allowing people for internships so on their end fair i got through that i applied uh, and the second thing each of the applications to international internships required letters of recommendation and the third thing they needed was you to write essays about your experience on each of these topics and i don't by essays i mean like a couple of paragraphs but um eventually it turned out to be like a complete essay on your entire experience so it is an intensive effort to apply to these things um but i did i was lucky i had a good relationship with my professors they helped me out and so i applied to cern there was a video interview and i got in eventually at the time i faced a lot of obstacles in actually getting to cern just because it involved skipping out on a significant chunk of the semester or a couple of weeks to be fair but still in college's eyes more than a day is a significant chunk so faced a couple of obstacles eventually managed to convince them that hey you know it's a good opportunity let me go um and i can bet they are also glad they let me go because now students from dj sangvi do get into cern more frequently than before the experience uh, so that was how i got into cern why i got into cern was probably because i had a bunch of experience building websites and uh, one or two internships before that i did work at iit bombay i did work at a couple of startups and so like i had a decent background in the technologies that they were looking for i didn't know machine learning at that time but i got into a machine learning project it's important to note that when i apply i do my research like crazy like i looked up a project someone wrote about on a blog on an internship portal where they went to cern worked with some advisor looked up that advisor looked up their background looked up their interests wrote about that project in my essay so for that five line essay paragraph i i did all of this research and i do an equal amount of research for all the other internships so that's that's where i'm like it's hard to write a good application that that was the point of getting at and ironically i got in with the same advisor on a similar sort of project so that's that's how i started learning machine learning by doing it in practice and i worked on anomaly detection at the time it was a really nice experience uh, in the sense cern creates like a holistic atmosphere for interns they took us traveling around to google zurich to eth zurich which is a university one of the top universities in the world and the best in europe i think so yeah it creates an environment where it's not just an internship but it's a life experience so that's why i definitely recommend the open lab internship for whoever is listening to actually go and apply to it it's much harder to apply now because partly because letters of reference from professors are not as easy to come by these days everyone's applying for internships if not internships your seniors are applying for masters so your professors will be busy but anyway skipping to the switzerland part really nice experience i already spoke about that earlier so hot pot of cultures lots of new things to learn got introduced to physics got back into cern because my advisor from the summer internship actually discussed potentially hiring me back but the way this uh, the application process works someone else could also get me so that's what happened someone else selected me and i ended up with the physics and machine learning team so it was a team of physicists who also did a bunch of machine learning super smart people super nice people i spent a very nice year there and they also had me go to a bunch of summer schools that i applied for and got in and again that boils down to like what you can do with the opportunities you have like no one asked me to go to summer schools i created that i pitched it to my advisor and i was like look you don't you don't have to pay for all this i got a grant from one of the schools i i, I will manage the expenditure for the other school so then he said okay the third school we can potentially like support you for it because that's physics related and machine learning so it learned to like 
uh, pivot one opportunity into another um, again communication is super important here because it, it matters how you pitch these things to your advisors and supervisors and people above you in general so you did this certain thing after the second year the initial internship i did this certain thing after my third year so in the summer after my third year before my final year of engineering i was at cern and it super important to mention one of the key reasons it worked out was because the friends i had in india were actually supporting me in terms of my lab assignments in terms of our final year project and so like that should that should not be forgotten like it's not a small uh, uh, aspect of why i could survive not not going to college for a week or two uh, three four weeks so i think that people who apply for internships let it be national in nation or international internship they forget just simple thing that it is not what you want it is more like what they want and if it is in that you know uh, circle where you also want it then it completely collides and you do that by people while searching they just look what they want and not what the companies are looking for or, or anything so i think since uh, you know they wanted this since you researched so much about it i think that played a great role while going for internships or them hiring you later that's a fair point um, also i should mention that cern doesn't publish the projects it's recruiting for it asks you what you want and i no one told me to look up these projects even they didn't say look up projects but i did it because i figured if someone was working on some project at some point that was probably a requirement right so think through things uh, before applying that's that's all could you just quickly take us through what the entrance exam for nyu and the admission process just for the students would apply right so admissions typically requires you and this is not just nyu but i this includes nyu there are two different ways of admission uh, two different procedures for admitting students one is for phd one is for masters for masters applicants i can start with that um, typically you need your statement of purpose your transcripts your recommendation letters and that's it and your gre scores some universities are waiving gre scores an important thing to mention is if you're under financial duress you can write to the universities and say you know i'm i'm dealing with some financial issues could you please waive the application fees and they tend to do that but that's not mentioned actively anywhere so uh, just as a side note that might be of use at the same time like if 15 people from your college are emailing them saying give us financial benefits they're probably not going to do that so yeah that's important to mention for some folk so that's the application process the way these applications work is someone will review your resume your grades and your gre score and that's like an initial filter if you pass that filter and this is my understanding of it i don't have any data to support this other than reading people's blog posts like people who review write some blog posts and stuff and tweets from time to time so based on that i'm telling you this i don't know that it's still the case yeah just generally i think this might be the case but yeah um so your grades are important your your gre scores are important and those act as a pre filter so it's not going to work for you massively but it could work against you so having a decent gre score is important having decent grades is important then you come to the statement of purpose where people actually spend time going through the clarity you have in your goals in your experiences in your ideas of what you want to do during your masters same for phd except in phd you want to focus exclusively on like the problem you want to solve they don't want to hear a story about how you grew up with computers and like managed to get into machine learning and did a lot of cool things they want to hear okay 
based on your experiences what problems would you like to work on who would you like to work with and why so for me i actually reached out to my phd advisor or the professor who turned into my phd advisor i reached out to him beforehand I had a conversation with him there was some common background because he was a physicist and data science professor and i was working in physics and machine learning so he is also affiliated with cern although a different experiment than the one i was working on so i actually did manage to meet him and talk with him and all of that and that helped a lot because he had more context than an application could provide on who i am what i do phd's have interview proces- uh, processes so even after all of this reviewing you will still have two to three interviews with different professors probably professors you mentioned in your application so they will test your background on what you've written what you want to do and in general any questions they might have that is super important masters i don't think they have interviews cmu had asked me for a video uh, recording for like what do you want to do and now that i look it up it's such a bad recording like i would not admit me based on it but anyway the point is you want to be very precise don't tell stories as far as you can use your experiences to back your goals that's it that's a one liner for a statement of purpose it says purpose right it doesn't say statement of background history or experiences so write about your purpose write about why that is your purpose and write about why your graduate degree can help you with that purpose yeah i've also written a blog post about this but yeah this this is in short the application process oh um, a point about letters of recommendation typically academic letters are far more important than industry letters and typically they don't want they want the professors to sort of compare you with other applicants so like say that this student is in the top 5 or 10% of students i have taught or the student is the best student i've ever taught um some of them also follow up with the professor by sending them some forms to fill out like oh, how would you rate the student and all of that one thing to mention is in india we have this habit of like having the student draft up most of the letter and then the professor takes a look at it if you're a student and it's wrong it's bad it's there's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't be doing that but people do it anyway so it's important to mention that if you're doing that please don't go overboard and like just say you are the best person in the world for every single institute please be realistic in what you're trying to claim please be concrete in your claims don't write abstract things that you can't quantify the student changed face of our college and stuff like that please no one wants to hear that no one wants to believe that your achievements are fine to mention but note that a letter of recommendation is coming from a professor and a professor will have a certain way of writing that you cannot emulate so you give your professor the data that they need but don't write the letter yeah the side note thank you very much for telling that i'm sure that people will find it helpful since everyone will be applying right now from third year and as well as from the fourth year for a masters or internships so the advice you gave today will help them for both so any other advice you'll like to give students in bj we would say and we had a recent webinar with ac so definitely go look that up if you have access to it um because we addressed a lot of these questions and that was two hours long and had a bunch of other very smart people on it who had a very we had a broad set of perspectives on the same problems but i guess just the one other piece of advice i would give you is find friends who support you and support them do things together it's much easier than doing things alone thank you very much for your advice today i'm sure that people will find it very very helpful so yes this was swapnil mehta uh, you can reach him on linkedin as swapnil mehta uh, that's 
n e e l and not n i l so i think that will be very helpful and thank you very much self for today thanks a lot this is great guys thank you for listening everyone